Chapter Six of Cranford by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Six, Poor Peter. Poor Peter's career lay before him rather pleasantly mapped out by kind friends, but Bonus Bernardus non vidit omnia in his map too. He was to win honors at the Shrewsbury School and carry them thick to Cambridge, and after that a living awaited him, the gift of his godfather, Sir Peter Arley. Poor Peter. His lot in life was very different to what his friends had hoped and planned. Miss Matty told me all about it, and I think it was a relief when she had done so. He was the darling of his mother, who seemed to dote on all her children, though she was, perhaps, a little afraid of Deborah's superior acquirements. Deborah was the favourite of her father, and when Peter disappointed him, she became his pride. The sole honour Peter brought away from Shrewsbury was the reputation of being the best good fellow that ever was, and of being the captain of the school in the art of practical joking. His father was disappointed, but set about remedying the matter in a manly way. He could not afford to send Peter to read with any tutor, but he could read with him himself, and Miss Matty told me much of the awful preparations in the way of dictionaries and lexicons that were made in her father's study the morning Peter began. "'My poor mother,' said she, "'I remember how she used to stand in the hall, "'just near enough the study door, "'to catch the tone of my father's voice. "'I could tell in a moment if all was going right by her face. "'And it did go right, for a long time. "'What went wrong at last?' I said. "'That tiresome Latin, I dare say. "'No, it was not the Latin. "'Peter was in high favour with my father, "'for he worked up well for him.' but he seemed to think that the Cranford people might be joked about, and made fun of, and they did not like it. Nobody does. He was always hoaxing them. Hoaxing is not a pretty word, my dear, and I hope you won't tell your father I used it, for I should not like him to think I was not choice in my language, after living with such a woman as Deborah. And be sure you never use it yourself. I don't know how it slipped out of my mouth, except that I was thinking of poor Peter, and it was always his expression." but he was a very gentlemanly boy in many things. He was like dear Captain Brown in always being ready to help any old person or a child. Still, he did like joking and making fun, and he seemed to think the old ladies in Cranford would believe anything. There were many old ladies living here then. We are principally ladies now, I think, but we are not so old as the ladies used to be when I was a girl. I could laugh to think of some of Peter's jokes— "'No, my dear, I won't tell you them, because they might not shock you as they ought to, and they were very shocking. He even took in my father once, by dressing himself up as a lady that was passing through the town and wished to see the rector of Cranford, who had published that admirable assize sermon. Peter said he was awfully frightened himself when he saw how my father took it all in, and even offered to copy out all his Napoleon Bonaparte sermons for her—him, I mean. No, her, for Peter was a lady then.' He told me he was more terrified than he ever was before, all the time my father was speaking. He did not think my father would have believed him, and yet if he had not it would have been a sad thing for Peter. As he was, he was none so glad of it, for my father kept him hard at work copying out all those twelve Bonaparte sermons for the lady. That was for Peter himself, you know. He was the lady. And once, when he wanted to go fishing, Peter said, "'Confound the woman!' "'Very bad language, my dear, but Peter was not always so guarded as he should have been. "'My father was so angry with him, it nearly frightened me out of my wits, "'and yet I could hardly keep from laughing at the little curtsies Peter kept making, "'quite slyly, whenever my father spoke of the lady's excellent taste and sound discrimination. "'Did Miss Jenkins know of these tricks?' said I. "'Oh, no! Deborah would have been much too shocked. 
"'No, no one knew but me. I wish I had known of Peter's plans, but sometimes he did not tell me. He used to say the old ladies in the town wanted something to talk about, but I don't think they did. They had the St. James's Chronicle three times a week, just as we have now, and we have plenty to say, and I remember the clacking noise there always was when some of the ladies got together. But probably schoolboys talk more than ladies. At last there was a terrible sad thing happened. Miss Matty got up, went to the door, and opened it. No one was there. She rang the bell for Martha, and when Martha came her mistress told her to go for eggs to a farm at the other end of the town. "'I will lock the door after you, Martha. You are not afraid to go, are you?' "'No, ma'am, not at all. Jem Hearn will be only too proud to go with me.' Miss Matty drew herself up, and as soon as we were alone she wished that Martha had more maidenly reserve. "'We'll put out the candle, my dear. We can talk just as well by firelight, you know. There. Well, you see, Deborah had gone from home for a fortnight or so. It was a very still, quiet day, I remember, overhead, and the lilacs were all in flower, so I suppose it was spring.' My father had gone out to see some sick people in the parish. I recollect seeing him leave the house with his wig and shovel-hat and cane. What possessed our poor Peter I don't know. He had the sweetest temper, and yet he always seemed to like to plague Deborah. She never laughed at his jokes, and thought him ungenteel, and not careful enough about improving his mind, and that vexed him. Well, he went to her room, it seems, and dressed himself in her old gown and shawl and bonnet, just the things she used to wear in Cranford, and was known by everywhere, and he made the pillow into a little—you are sure you locked the door, my dear, for I should not like any one to hear—into—into into a little baby with long white clothes. It was only, as he told me afterwards, to make something to talk about in the town. He never thought of it as affecting Deborah. And he went and walked up and down in the Filbert Walk, just half hidden by the rails and half seen, and he cuddled his pillow just like a baby and talked to it all the nonsense people do. Oh dear! And my father came stepping stately up the street, as he always did, and what should he see but a little black crowd of people, I dare say as many as twenty, all peeping through his garden rails. So he thought at first they were only looking at a new rhododendron that was in full bloom and that he was very proud of, and he walked slower that they might have more time to admire. And he wondered if he could make out a sermon from the occasion, and thought perhaps there was some relation between the rhododendrons and the lilies of the field. My poor father! When he came nearer he began to wonder that they did not see him, but their heads were all so close together, peeping and peeping. My father was amongst them, meaning, he said, to ask them to walk into the garden with him and admire the beautiful vegetable production, when, oh, my dear, I tremble to think of it, he looked through the rails himself, and saw, I don't know what he thought he saw, but old Clare told me his face went quite grey-white with anger, and his eyes blazed out under his frowning black brows, and he spoke out, oh, so terribly, and bade them all stop where they were, not one of them to go, not one of them to stir a step, and swift as light he was in at the garden door, and down the filbert walk, and seized hold of poor Peter, and tore his clothes off his back, bonnet, shawl, gown, and all, and threw the pillow among the people over the railings, and then he was very, very angry indeed, and before all the people he lifted up his cane and flogged Peter. My dear, that boy's trick on that sunny day, when all seemed going straight and well, broke my mother's heart and changed my father for life. It did, indeed. Old Clare said Peter looked as white as my father, and stood as still as a statue to be flogged, and my father struck hard. When my father stopped to take breath, Peter said, "'Have you done enough, sir?' quite hoarsely, and st 
still standing quite quiet. I don't know what my father said, or if he said anything. But old Clare said, Peter turned to where the people outside the railing were, and made them a low bow, as grand and grave as any gentleman, and then walked slowly into the house. I was in the store-room, helping my mother to make cowslip wine. I cannot abide the wine now, nor the scent of the flowers. They turn me sick and faint, as they did that day, when Peter came in, looking as haughty as any man, indeed, looking like a man, not like a boy. Mother, he said, I am come to say, God bless you for ever. I saw his lips quiver as he spoke, and I think he durst not say anything more loving, for the purpose that was in his heart. She looked at him rather frightened and wondering, and asked him what was to do. He did not smile or speak, but put his arms around her and kissed her as if he did not know how to leave off, and before she could speak again he was gone. We talked it over, and could not understand it, and she bade me to go and seek my father, and ask what it was all about. I found him walking up and down, looking very highly displeased. "'Tell your mother I have flogged Peter, and that he richly deserved it.' I durst not ask any more questions. When I told my mother, she sat down, quite faint, for a minute. I remember a few days after, I saw the poor, withered cowslip flowers thrown out into the leaf-heap, to decay there and die. There was no making of cowslip wine that year at the rectory, nor, indeed, ever after. Presently my mother went to my father. I know I thought of Queen Esther and King Ahasuerus, for my mother was very pretty and delicate-looking, and my father looked as terrible as King Ahasuerus. Some time after they came out together, and then my mother told me what had happened, and that she was going up to Peter's room at my father's desire, though she was not to tell Peter this, to talk the matter over with him. But no Peter was there. We looked over the house. No Peter was there. Even my father, who had not liked to join in the search at first, helped us before long. The rectory was a very old house, steps up into a room, steps down into a room, all through. At first my mother went calling, low and soft, as if to reassure the poor boy. "'Peter! Peter, dear, it's only me!' But by and by, as the servants came back from the errands my father had sent them, in different directions, to find where Peter was, as we found he was not in the garden, nor the hayloft, nor anywhere about, my mother's cry grew louder and wilder. "'Peter! Peter, my darling, where are you?' For then she felt and understood that that long kiss meant some sad kind of good-bye. The afternoon went on, my mother never resting, but seeking again and again in every possible place that had been looked into twenty times before, nay, that she had looked into over and over again herself. My father sat with his head in his hands, not speaking except when his messengers came in, bringing no tidings. Then he lifted up his face, so strong and sad, and told them to go again in some new direction. My mother kept passing from room to room, in and out of the house, and moving noiselessly, but never ceasing. Neither she nor my father durst leave the house, which was the meeting-place for all the messengers. At last, and it was nearly dark, my father rose up. He took hold of my mother's arm as she came with wild, sad pace through one door, and quickly towards another. She started at the touch of his hand, for she had forgotten all in the world but Peter. "'Molly,' he said, "'I did not think all this would happen.' He looked into her face for comfort, her poor face all wild and white, for neither she nor my father had dared to acknowledge, much less act upon, the terror that was in their hearts, lest Peter should have made away with himself. My father saw no conscious look in his wife's hot, dreary eyes, and he missed the sympathy that she had always been